With that, Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 8, reading through verse 14. Paul writing, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed, but all things that are exposed made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will give you light. Lord, we ask that this same light that you speak of here, which comes down from heaven, Lord, would fill this room, drive out anything, Lord, that would distract the words of your scriptures and the voice of your spirit. Speak to us, and Lord, may our ears and our hearts hear and listen and obey to all that the spirit has to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What does it mean to walk in light? Paul says, walk in light. What does it mean? Not just walking towards light, certainly not walking away from light, but walking in, walking in light. It's such that the light and the walk of our life are in harmony. That makes sense? That the light and our walk are in perfect harmony. They're synonymous with one another. If someone looks at your walk, they think light. If they think light, they think your walk. Spiritually speaking, light is what in a spiritual sense? Well, it's representative of God's holiness, his purity, his love, and his truth. Would we all agree with that? Spiritually speaking, that's what a biblical definition of light is, spiritual light. We know the difference between sunlight and spiritual light, although the Bible uses them as metaphors for one another. But these attributes, just like light, are openly visible. Just like we, go, we all can see these lights above us, right? You look up, now you're going to see little dots for the next couple seconds, right? But you can see these lights that are above us. They're openly visible. It's just like a light bulb that's turned on in an otherwise dark room. You might not know there's a light bulb in there, but when you hit the switch, oh, that's where it is. It's openly visible. You can see that is a light bulb. I can see it right there. To walk in light, it also speaks of relationship. Relationship. Because the light of Christ and his spirit resides in us by the work of salvation. Salvation is the implanting of God's light in us. That's not the only thing it is, but it's one of the things that salvation is, is we now have that light. Jesus is light, and he gives that light to us. So to walk in light means to walk in the relationship that Jesus desires for our life. We talked, we've talked about last couple weeks, there's the determined will of God, and there's the desired will of God. The determined will of God, there will someday be a judgment seat of Christ. Nothing will stop that. Amen? There will someday be a great white throne judgment. Nothing's going to stop that. But Jesus desires you to take up your cross today and follow him. He may not make you today. So you have another opportunity to say today, well, maybe I'll put it off a day. The desired will of Jesus says today, today. Walking in the light also means that the light goes with us wherever we go. See, if you walk in light, there'll be no place where you wouldn't be that there's not also light. Walking in light, that light goes wherever you go. And it illuminates our way as we go. In Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a what? Light. Unto my path. Your path is full of light. The light is there for you to not stumble, not 
go backwards. And that truth, the truth of the light, the love of the light, the purity, all that we understand about the light of the Lord, it's simultaneously, it's our companion. It's our joy. That light is our protection. It's our guidance. You've been in a really dark place and you're like, man, I could, I could really use a flashlight. Right? You're like, there could be a snake I'm going to step on. There could be some animal that I've never heard of before. Right? There could be someone lurking. I know when we were down in El Salvador and we had to walk from certain places were on the, on the grounds, it would get so dark. And I had, me and Trevor had told everybody, bring flashlights. And I did use them. And I needed them because like when I had to go down to the out... The stalls that are outside, I'm like, that's a spider, that's a spider, what is that? Uh, that, you know, get that out of here, you know? <laughs> Light is very helpful to guide us, to protect us, to give us insight, valuable insights. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're talking walking in light, walking in light. He says, to walk in as children of light, now you're in the light of the Lord. And the first thing we want to look at this morning, if you're taking notes, is what we were. Now, Paul references our past. He says here in verse 5, For you were once darkness. Hmm. What a statement that is. You were once darkness. Not that we were once in darkness, which we were, no doubt we were in darkness. Not that we resembled darkness, which we did, but that we were darkness. By the way, this does not go well with the world's philosophy that we're all basically pretty good, but we just have a couple of mishaps, a couple of slip-ups, a couple of bad habits. God is saying through the Holy Spirit, you were once darkness. Not kind of like it. You were darkness. I know we don't, we've talked about this in the, throughout their Ephesian study because we, uh, we don't even think of other people that way because we've met too many people that don't, don't know the Lord, don't have a relationship with the Lord just like we didn't before we were saved. And generally, we think they're pretty nice people. And they let us borrow their garden hose once or they uh, gave us something to, to eat. Uh, you know, they baked us something at the office or you know, they let us in in traffic. So we kind of think, well, they must be pretty good. I'm pretty good. We're all pretty good. But no, the scriptures say you were once darkness. I was having a discussion, a discipleship discussion this week, and we we're talking about this, that we, when it comes to how we think about ourselves and this world and sin and whether, you know, you might, you might have struggled before you say, how can God send people to hell? You ever struggle with that thought? I have. Did you know pastors struggle with that thought too? Here's the thing that I've come to, here's where I've come to land on all this. If I, could, if I could put everything I know about anything in the universe, it might look like a grain of sand. Compared to what? The entire universe. God's like, whatever you think you know is microscopic. So all the reasons you could think of why it would be unfair for a holy God to send anybody to hell for eternity, God would say, let me enlighten you in about 1 trillion, 10 trillion, 50 trillion reasons you haven't considered. That makes sense? If you, it, and the, by the same token, you could say, how can God say we're all darkness? We've done some good things. If God says we're darkness, guess what we are? Darkness. Because he knows it all. We only know a little bit. Now, after you get saved, after you come by faith and you accept the original premise that Jesus, you died for me, please cleanse me from my sins, you take that first step of belief, you start to believe all that God says and you don't really, you don't really battle with it anymore. Even when you don't understand something, you say, I don't understand this statement. Everyone is darkness? Everyone? All right, Lord. You know, right? By the way, with... It's not even worth it for people to fight against God for their entire life and say, well, when I stand before him someday, I'm going to have a little word about this thing I didn't, I didn't understand. It doesn't work that way, does it? It's a foolish thing. It's a very foolish thing. And so the Lord is uh, telling us very clearly, 
that we didn't just have kind of a tendency of darkness. We were darkness. Our pre-Christ condition was really worse than we comprehended. And for anyone that's still lost, their condition is still right now presently worse than they can comprehend, worse than I can comprehend. And that's why a lot of times, even as believers, we don't have a lot of compassion on people because we really don't understand the condition they're in. When we're walking in the flesh, we don't even see it. We kind of run by, they're fine. They look happy to me. They look okay. But their condition is worse than we understand. God's perspective, he sees that they are total darkness, in total darkness, walking in total darkness. And understand, Christian, when you think about the cross, it should illuminate how bad our condition was and anyone outside of Christ is. If you and I ever witnessed the brutality of the cross, we'd probably vomit, we'd probably pass out. It, it would shock our senses. The brutality and the suffering of the cross is in direct proportion to the darkness and condition of mankind. That makes sense? The cross, the reason why it is so grotesque is it, it illustrates how dark mankind is. It took something that brutal to combat something that dark. The word darkness, what does it mean? It means without light, blind, or no visibility. No light, blind, or no visibility. The spiritual metaphor is sometimes, uh, or the spiritual metaphor here is that, uh, that someone would be ignorant of God's holiness. Ignorant of the nature of God. No understanding or knowledge of the nature of God. No understanding of consequences of rejecting God. And consequently, a person that's in darkness is still bound in sin and self-destruction. Self-destruction. In a sense, everyone that denies Christ commits suicide. Does that make sense? In a sense, everyone says no to Jesus is literally committing spiritual eternal suicide. But they wouldn't know it because they're still in darkness. What does the scripture tell us about darkness? Four things I want you to write down if you're a note taker. If you're not a note taker, maybe you can become one someday. Anyway, <laughs> grow up to be a note taker. What does the scriptures tell us about darkness? Number one, there's a power of darkness. There's a power of darkness. And, th and I'm taking this from the larger context of scripture, not just this passage, but other passages. Uh, we, we don't have time to go all through the Bible, but I'll convey to you other things that the Bible tells us about darkness. There is a power of darkness. What does that mean? The weight of sin weighs on people. The weight of guilt weighs on people. Pleasures drown people. Deception has a gravitational pull like a black hole. You've seen the black holes in space. They suck everything and even light. The darkness of this world power of darkness has a gravitational pull. And if you say, does Jesus mention anything about that? I'm glad you asked. He does. In Matthew 22, 53, he mentions the power of darkness. And when he's speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you guys are under it, basically. In 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 1, 13, Paul references it as well, speaking to believers. He says, he, being Christ, has delivered us from the power of darkness. If you're saved, you've been delivered from the power of darkness. It's weight, it's deception, it's gravitational pull. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Number two, there's a ruler of darkness. So there's a power of darkness, but there's also a ruler of darkness. And we know who that is, don't we? He's Satan. He's the ruler of darkness. And by the way, a lot of his darkness doesn't look like darkness. It's actually set up like Disneyland. It's set up like lights. Vegas, they like to call Vegas where the big fight took place last night, Sin City. I think that's a crazy thing to say in the presence of a holy God, but that's what they like to say about the city. And what is it? It has lights all in it, but it's not the kind of light that comes from heaven. These are fake little lights. 
They look like lights. They look like the real thing, but they're not. And we have a ruler of darkness in Ephesians 6.12, where we get to the sixth chapter uh, in several weeks out, but Paul says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Well, earthly kings do not run around in heavenly places, but the spirit world does. Satan in the realm of the spirit, he roams the world, ruling darkness, ruling the demonic forces, ruling the world systems, ruling the fact that everyone needs to get in some kind of bondage. That's what the ruler of this age is doing. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Paul was being spoken to by Jesus, and Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you, Paul, out to the world to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. You know, some, you know there's a lot of polls that a lot of Americans don't even believe Satan exists. <laughs> they don't believe Satan exists. You know what Satan loves? He loves that they don't believe he exists. He laughs like you would not believe that people don't believe he exists. And he actually is okay with you not believing. He's not. He doesn't really want a Twitter handle. He wants everyone to think he doesn't exist while he actually has the puppet strings of all the world's systems and isms and religions and immorality and the cesspool of sin. He's controlling it all. And when people say, well, I don't believe there is such a fictitious character. Satan's okay with that. He'd rather you believe in Jesus and not believe in him, but your belief in Jesus is just a head knowledge, not a heart situation. But there is a ruler of darkness. Number three, so there first there's a power of darkness. Two, there's a ruler of darkness. Number three, people love darkness, according to the Bible. According to the Bible, people love darkness. It makes about as much sense as loving cancer or loving heart disease or loving AIDS or loving malaria. Nobody loves those things, right? But people love darkness, and they're equally destructive. Yet humans, they're not, they not be attracted to a love of cancer, but human beings are attracted to spiritual darkness just like a moth to your floodlight, the back of the back of the house, people are attracted to spiritual darkness. Jesus speaking, John chapter 3. You now you know the most famous verse to most people is John what? 3:16. For God so loved the world, sent his only begotten son. 3 verses later, same conversation. 19th verse, Jesus said these words. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone has a, a problem with this statement that men love darkness, you'll have to take it up with our Lord and Savior because he says men love darkness more than they love light. In the natural condition, you and I were born with a love for darkness. We had to have our eyes opened and our spirits broken to come to a place where we love light more than darkness. We were born with a natural love for darkness. Fourth one here, if you're taking notes, fourth and last one. Rejection of God will result in permanent darkness. Think about it. There's a power of darkness. There's a ruler of darkness. Men love darkness. But here's the worst of it all. If you die still loving darkness, guess what you get for all eternity? Darkness. Rejection of God results in permanent darkness, Matthew 8, 12. But the sons of the kingdom, whose kingdom? Satan's kingdom. The sons of Satan's kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. By the way, Jesus loves people enough to tell them the whole story. He doesn't have a, a missing chapter. He doesn't say, well, I'll tell you the good stuff, but I'm not going to tell you this over here. He tells you the whole thing so you can make a spiritually informed decision of, yes, Lord, have mercy on me. That's, that's what it is. He wants us to understand all the facts. And so he says in Matthew 8, 12, that those who want to invest in this kingdom here on this earth, 
eventually will be cast into outer darkness. You see, the condition and consequences of darkness is worse than we think, isn't it? And the scripture says you were darkness. It's a desperate condition. We've seen the uh, TV shows. We've seen the TV shows and movies. Uh, you've seen the movies or sitcoms where someone ends up in jail, and they, they get one call, right? They get one call, and they, they place one call to a, a friend or a coworker or a sibling or somebody else. So you're not going to believe where I'm at. And someone has to come down and bail them out. And it's never like a super stressful thing in a sitcom, right? It's almost like goofy. Like, like, like most people would not really kind of be laughing about it. But, that's, but they make it, everything's lighthearted. So they get this call to get bailed out, and, they, and you see them trotting out of the, uh, hey, I'm so glad you came. I knew, uh, well, it kind of messed up a little bit. So for many, they see Jesus in the same way. They, like they got a little uh, slip up, jail, a little quick bailout call because it's not really that big a deal anyway. Just a little, it's 100 bucks, get me out. By the way, Jesus' death on the cross is worth way more than 100 bucks. It wasn't just a little mess up. It's not to cover a few little mistakes. It's to cover the darkness. From God's perspective, we were total darkness. So dark and in opposition to God that Jesus took that darkness upon himself. Even while he was on the cross, it said that what took place for three hours? Total darkness came upon. Darkness fell upon the land. As I've said before, as you learned this past week, total eclipses are only for a couple of minutes. If before and after, there's less light, 10%, 15%, 80%, whatever. But total darkness, God was showing the world that my son is dying in your darkness. He took it upon himself because he alone had the power. He alone had the authority. He alone had the ability as he suffered to dispel the darkness, to defeat the darkness, to dissolve the darkness. Before we move on, one last thing. Imagine being in total darkness. I mean total, total, total darkness, not a shred of light. You might be okay with it for a few seconds. You might be okay with it for an hour. You start to sit that in that condition for a long time, you're going you're gonna to feel things you've never felt before. All of us would. Job experiences the belly of the whale, total darkness. That's not just a little kid's fun story. Think about it, adults. Three days in that, you'd be crying out to the portals of heaven too, wouldn't you? He thought he was in hell. That's how bad it was. Total darkness. He couldn't concentrate on anything else but God deliver me somehow. But imagine you're in total 100% pitch black darkness in all directions, north, south, east, west, for 10,000 miles. You have no Nothing in your hands. No clothing, no tools, no objects to even make a spark. That's a truly hopeless condition, isn't it? Think about that. That is a hopeless condition. And that was our position. Any light would have to come from a source outside of ourselves at that point, wouldn't it? It would have to come, and it would have to be supernatural to supersede those 10,000 miles in all directions. And that's exactly what Jesus did, Amen. It brings us to the good news. What we were versus now what we are. As Paul says, you were once darkness. Oh, let's get past this part of the sentence. Here's where you can exhale now. But now you are light in the Lord. Oh, that feels a little better, doesn't it? Darkness for all directions. All of a sudden, Paul says, but now you're light. Now you're children of light. Turn to John chapter 1 for just a quick second. John chapter 1. What we are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 1. Starting in verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness to that light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness to that light. That was the true light, 
which gives what? Light to every man coming into the world. <laughs> the whole world was in darkness, John says. But Jesus not only came as the light, but he gives that light to us. We're in that 10,000 mile all direction darkness, and Jesus splits the darkness and brings us light. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. Aren't you glad there's no darkness in God? Aren't you glad that he dispels darkness? Aren't you glad that he's brought us into light? You could not pay me any amount of money to go back to the darkness of my prior salvation. So you've caught, uh, I, bet you I, could, I bet you I could get a million bucks and you spend a day unsaved. I would never go back and spend a single day unsaved. Would you? Well, I'll just take a, I'll just take a risk. That takes a really, I mean, you really have to be worked in your thinking to think, hey, I can take a one-day risk. No. For, forget the risk. I wouldn't want to go back to darkness. We now have been given light. Once you've had light, you don't want to go back to anything else. Once you've had really good-tasting water, would you want to go back to water that tastes like a sewer? Well, it's, you know, it wasn't that bad, right? No, you would not want to go back. We shouldn't want to go back. We are now children of light. The light came into the world and now brought us into this light. We're the light of the world because of the light of Christ in us. Only because of the light of Christ. Nothing of us, there's nothing for us to boast of. There's nothing for us to say, well, you know, now I shine pretty bright these days. We don't. We're like the moon. The moon doesn't. The moon's not a source of light. We talked about this last week. The moon is not a source of light. It what? Reflects light. Jesus reflects off of us. He casts that light towards us, but we don't produce it. We do receive it, and we're grateful for it. We've been birthed into God's family because he says, walk as children of light. We talk a lot about the fact that we are a church family. We are children of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're born into a family. And so the whole family is to shine as light. I've said before, you know, the collective spiritual power of all of us walking in the same direction under the same spiritual authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and his light is a powerful thing. It's one thing when someone in an arena lights a candle. It's a different thing when 40,000 people do, right? And so we all, as children at the table of God, we're all to now walk in this light. We've been birthed into God's life and through his blood, and now we're told to walk in this light. This is what Paul is emphasizing. But now you are light. You were darkness, but now you're light. Walk as children of light. So how do we do that? It's our last thing we want to look at. What to do? We saw what we, uh, what we were. We understand what we are. But the important thing is, what do we do? Right? If we're going to be light, if we're going to be lights in this world, what is it that the Lord would have us do? And this is where we look at, starting in verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of these things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest, is light. Three things we want to look at and what to do in these verses. We'll break them down for just a couple of minutes. The first is to focus and find. What do I mean by that? In verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding what is acceptable to the Lord. Those two verses, focus and find. Walk as children who have been rescued from darkness. In other words, we have a commitment level in our heart. He says here, for the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, righteousness, truth. We have a commitment in our heart not to go back to the aimless life we were delivered from. Who would ever want to go back to defeat again? But walk in the Holy Spirit means you have to cultivate a life in the Spirit. Does that make sense? To walk in light 
you got to turn the light on. You've got to invest and cultivate in life of the Spirit. Fruit grows. We know that fruit trees, if you want to have a fruit tree, if you want to plant a fruit tree, we know that fruit, which is a biblical, uh, you know, continual uh, reminder in the New Testament that we are to be fruit bearers. And so any tree that's going to bear fruit, you know there has to be water, there has to be light, there has to be soil. In a couple of weeks, many Richmonders will flock to a place in Charlottesville called Carter's Mountain. Many of you like it there. It feels so fun there. It's like old-time Americana. There's apple trees, lots of different kind of apple trees, all that kind of stuff. We, we like it too. But those apple trees, guess what? Those apple trees will need the exact same things to grow and bear fruit next year as they need this year. There'll never be a substitute. And I said, hey, this year, let's not give them water and light anymore. Let's try something different. Christian church, we need the same things the apostles needed. The same things. You can't say, well, this year, let's just, let's, we'll give them water and light, but no soil. You can't, you can't remove any part of the equation. You can't say in our life, hey, I'll have, Lord, I'll take a slice of Bible, but no prayer, please. Or I'll take a slice of prayer, but no Bible, please. Well, I'll worship, but I won't read or pray. Right? All of these ingredients, if we're going to see the fruit of the Spirit in our life, if we're going to see goodness and righteousness and truth spring up from our life, Paul said, you've got to focus on the right things. You've got to focus on life in the Spirit. We have to focus. I have to focus. You have to focus. There's no substitute to essentials. Agreed? Your car will need gas tomorrow just like it did today. You will not be able to say, oh, I'm going to try Jello. Because we got lots of Jello in the house. Maybe that'll work. Kids might think that's fun, but that would not work. We've been, uh, we've been referring back, at least it, it, whether you see it sometimes in a scriptural context, we refer back in lots of different contexts, Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, right? Because the, if you, uh, let me read at least verse 40 to you real quick. Acts chapter 2, just to remind you. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 actually. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Steadfastly. The trees at Carter's Mountain, the roots have to be there. You cannot cut the tree down or there won't be fruit. They have to stay rooted. You and I have to stay rooted. Fellowship's important. Prayer is important. The doctrine of the Word of God is important. Worship and praise, all of those things. If those things remain the centerpiece of our life, Jesus is at the center of these things, then there will be fruit. There will be righteousness. There will be goodness. And this takes focus and it takes intentionality. To walk is to do what? Move our legs. You have to choose to move your legs. You have to choose to move forward. Our Bibles will not pick themselves up and float across the room and place the... But the your Bible will not tomorrow do this. It will not just rise up, come across the room, slide into your hand, open itself, and start reading it to you. Now, God could do that, but he doesn't do that because he's looking for those... He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what the Scriptures say. He's a rewarder of those who diligently... They seek him. Now, he's already planted us like those apple trees and cars. They've been planted in the right place. The Holy Spirit's planted us. Now it's up for us to abide. John chapter 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. We have to respond to the truth that Jesus has already given us. Amen? To seek him and abide in him and to wait on him, to praise him. All these things are important. We find out what is acceptable. It says here, find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Hmm, how do we find out what's acceptable to God? In His Word, we find out what's acceptable to Him. We find out by knowing His Word. We find out not just by knowing it, but by doing it. The more we do God's Word, the more we find the favor of God in our life. We find more of the love of God by focusing on His love. We find more of His holiness by coming into His Holy of Holies. We find more of His holiness by studying His holiness. We have to focus on life in the Spirit to grow in the Spirit. 
And that will only be a priority in our life when we really believe. We have the back on the back board. It says, we believe. You know how you really know if you believe something? If you actually do it, you'll know if you believe it. If you, if you tell people, I believe the Word of God is powerful, then they should be able to rightly ask you, so, do you read it a lot? Well, no. It's powerful for my pastor. <laughs> or some other person, or a television evangelist, or it's powerful for somebody. It's just not powerful for me. That's how we'll know, do we really believe? Jesus is looking and saying, do you really believe these things, or are they just things you know? Are we believers, or are we finders? Because you can find something, but not actually latch on to it, not actually let it take root. You can know something, or you can believe something. To know and believe it it's a good thing to have in combination, but to believe it means it'll actually become action in our life. We'll find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Let's look at the next thing. Resist and reveal if you're taking notes. What does this mean? And he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. What does it mean to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness? So on the one hand, we're called to do something and that is to invest in the life of the Spirit, to grow in righteousness, to grow in truth, to grow in grace. We have to invest in those things which are good, noble, true, pure, lovely, right? All of those things we are to invest our time because those things are redeeming the time, as the Scripture says. So what does it mean to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness? Well, it doesn't mean that we're to have no contact with believers. There's been religious sex even in the world that started out as Christians, they decided, here's what we'll do. We'll go live on a plot of land far away from the world and not talk to anybody. The monastery philosophy is not biblical. Jesus went where sinners were. Amen? Amen. I love to go where sinners are, at least in the common marketplace of life, not in the dark dens of where they're at. Big difference, right? There's a lot of places Jesus would never step foot in but in the common realm of life, he would always interact with sinners. And you and I should be interacting with a lost and dying world. But we're not going to certain places they go. Hey, we're going to go to one of the filthiest movies ever created. Yeah, let me go there so I can witness to you. <laughs> not happening. So we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus told ministry he was bringing light to those that are in darkness. We're to bring light to those who are in darkness. Paul, think about Paul's life. Paul went directly into cities that were full of sin, full of immorality, full of idolatry, but yet he was a light and a witness in those cities. Not, he, was, he was not accepted as a new member of the club. Would you agree? If the world really accepts you as a new member of the club, that might be a problem, right? But yet you still interact but you don't become married to. Big difference. You don't become ingrained in the culture. You're a light to the culture. Paul went directly into those cities. Je Jesus had a half-brother. Same mother, but obviously Jesus' father was God. His brother James, his father was Joseph. And his half-brother James didn't believe in Jesus while Jesus' earthly ministry was taking place. But after the resurrection... James believed in Jesus, and this is what James wrote, James 4.4. 4. Some of you know this verse. Adulterers and adulteresses, do not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If Christians are preoccupied with being accepted by the world, they are completely mistaken. James, Jesus, the apostles say, what are you doing? You, you are not to be figure out every way to be accepted by the world, but yet you're to be a light in the world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God, James says. It's adultery, it's spiritual adultery. And by the way, churches trying to use the means of this world to connect with people is not of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. I remember reading an article about a church that was playing, I kid you not, they were playing ACDC's Highway to Hell in a service to try and speak to the world, and then they would actually spring the gospel on them. Paul and the rest of them would be rolling over in their graves. Like, 
They didn't need any of these silly tools to meet, reach people with the gospel. Amen? The gospel is powerful. God's never needed ACDC's help. ACDC needs God's help. Right? And they're still touring the world at 40s or 50s or whatever they are, and they still need Jesus, right? But you will never hear in this church us play that kind of filth to try and convince people, hey, this is how dark darkness is. They already know how, well, they don't, but the gospel will tell them how dark darkness is. We're not going to bring darkness, hey, let's bring some darkness in so we can make it really dark and then spring the light back out. No. Given the context, Paul also isn't advising believers. He says, notice what he also says here. He says, um, rather expose them for what is shame, it's shameful even speak of the things done in secret. But all things are exposed when they're made manifest by the light. What does all this mean? Given the context, understand what these verses are saying. Paul is also not advising believers that they need to get into deep dive discussions about how sinful, sinful things are. And this happens sometimes when Christians will speak for on and on and on about, did you hear about this evil? And then they'll have a deep discussion about the evil so much so that they're fixated on evil. The Bible says to think on those things that are lovely and pure. You don't need to be watching every documentary about evil to know it's out there. By now, we know this is out there, right? We're to be aware of darkness, but not be experts in it. Our expertise should be in love. It should be in mercy. It should be in grace. It should be in joy. How do we expose the works of darkness? He tells us how, but I'm asking, if you saw those verses, what is Paul saying? How are we to expose the works of darkness? Well, I'll tell you what we're not supposed to do. We're not to have a 10-part series video on it. I am going to deep dive every single nth degree of the wickedness. Now, it's okay to have a video that says, hey, sexual slavery is happening. Hey, this is going on. This is going on. And some facts need to be understood. I get that. But to sit there and dive and dive and dive and dive, you become now fixated on the evil instead of fixated on the one who delivers people from evil. Fixate on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12. Paul didn't delve into all the wickedness of the Roman Empire. Do you know that the Roman Empire had so many insidious things? Paul could have written entire books on just the types of sin, but he always covers them in broad generalities. Did you know that? He always talks about his adultery and fornication and all kinds of wickedness and all these different things, but he doesn't get into all the gory details. That's not exposing them. That's actually starting to get into the mud with the pig pen. Right? He spoke in general terms of as the condition of the world. So how do we expose darkness? Just shine as lights. That's the way. It's to shine as a light. When you shine as a light, they get convicted. Your light is convicting. The conscience comes back alive. They actually see that God is actually real. And that is what exposes the darkness. Not saying, I would like to sit down with you and show you this 64-week video. They don't have time for that. They're not going to listen to that. But when your light shines, you can actually impact people in minutes. Amen? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying this is what exposes. And don't sit there and talk about sin after sin after sin. He said it's shameful to even talk about the things that are done in secret. This is what the world does. That's why they love TMZ. They love People Magazine. They love to look at other people's sin and, and they... And even unsaved people don't really realize that what makes them feel good is they actually can enjoy someone's sin, but at their kind of conscious level feel, but I'm not actually doing it. I'm just enjoying someone else do it, right? Christians, we have to be careful too that maybe we don't read the same stuff, but we still can kind of talk about nonstop these certain things. Paul says, get that stuff out. Just live as a light for Jesus. Focus on the gospel. It'll actually mow down things like your mower will mow down grass. All the other stuff will just cause us to be attracted to the very things that we say we're against. Amen? Last thing, awake and arise. He says, therefore he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. 
By the way, let's note that even in these few verses underscores the need for the overlapping purpose of and the differences between teaching and preaching, which, Lord willing, I've been doing both this morning. A healthy believer in a healthy church must, 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 must have teaching and preaching. You can't have one without the other. And Paul's actually done both in this text. Let me show you what that looks like. Teaching and preaching, they overlap, they connect, but they're actually not the exact same thing, and yet they, at times, completely become one, and then at other times, teaching is over here and preaching is over here. But they're always in a symbiotic relationship, teaching and preaching. Paul said in, first, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, uh, Timothy was a pastor, Paul wrote this to him, he said, preach the word, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Preaching was at the beginning of the verse. Teaching was at the end of the verse. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that believers sit under both preaching and teaching and not only preaching or not only teaching, but both? Very important because Paul has both taught and preached in just these few verses that we've read. And I'll show you why, why that's important. Teaching should result in saying, this is what teaching should do in the life of a believer. Oh, now I understand. Or, wow, I had, no, I had understood that, but I had forgotten it. Either one is a form of teaching, right? When teachers teach in school, school's about to start up in a couple weeks, they will do what's called a review. Because the kids have forgotten a few things this summer. True? Those of you that are teachers, kids will forget some things this summer. You review, and then it all comes back. And then say, oh, yeah, I remember that. That's teaching. Or it's a new concept, and they go, oh, now I understand. Now I understand that equation. Now that makes sense. I understand that. That's teaching. Preaching should result in saying, oh, wow, I'm now going to do that and apply that in my life. I'm going to do that and apply that in my life. I'm going to change that in my life. Preaching causes action. Teaching influences understanding. Jesus gave parables to what? To teach and convey a truth. Oh, but he didn't just give parables. He preached repentance, didn't he? He came preaching the kingdom of God. He taught that people would understand, and then he preached that they would repent. Teaching and preaching go hand in hand. In Mark 16, 50, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But then in Matthew 28, 20, same parting words, that teaching them to observe all things that I command. Teaching is understanding. Preaching says, take action. Take steps. He says, verse 14, therefore, he says. Who is the he? Who is the he that Paul is speaking of? Well, it's the Father by the voice of his Spirit. The Father, by the voice of the Spirit, we are children of God, children of light, as we saw a few verses earlier, hearing the Spirit. His children, his sheep, will respond. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, but they also listen. Romans 13, 11, if you look at this text, it says, awake you who sleep. Romans 13, 11 says, knowing time knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Our salvation is nearer than we first started this service. We are now an hour and whatever, 25 minutes closer to the return of Jesus than we started. We're closer now. And he says it's high time to wake out of our sleep. What does sleep look like? It is just kind of light eyes closed in a kind of darkened, dull position. We have to get up. We have to turn the light on. He says, awake, arise from the dead. Walk in the light of Jesus and his light, bringing his light to others. And we have to do it now. Not next week, not 10 years from now. We have to do it now. Martin Luther said these words. Listen to these words from Martin Luther. They should speak to every single one of us in this room. He says, how soon not now becomes never. How soon not now becomes never. Never. I have met so many Christians that have said, well, someday, 
Someday, someday I'll really walk with Jesus. Someday I'll tell someone about him. Someday I'll go to a prayer meeting. Someday I'll do the things that the scriptures are asking me to do. Someday I'll witness. Someday I'll write a note to my unsaved family member. But what if someday becomes never? Jesus is saying through the Spirit, awake, you who sleep. Awake. It's high time to awake. It's time to awaken. If there's a genuine relationship, if there's a respect and a fear of the Lord, a love for the Lord, if we truly love his light and we don't want to slip back into darkness, Christ will give us light and he'll increase it in our life. Notice what it says, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Now that certainly speaks to an unsaved person. If they were dead, he will give you light. But it also speaks to the Christian who's kind of sleepwalking. Because Paul's writing to the church here. Christian, we're not to be observers of light. We're not to be just familiar with light. We're not, gonna, we're not to be able to describe light. Experts in the dynamics and process of light if we're not also walking in light. It's okay to have that kind of knowledge and understanding if we're walking in it. Amen? People don't want to meet a knowledgeable Christian. They want to meet a spirit-filled one. Because spirit-filled ones change the world. They're lights for Jesus knowledgeable ones, no different than anybody else. We're not to have Bibles, but to know them, to believe in them, to apply them in our life, to disciple others with those Bibles, and to share the gospel that in those Bibles with a lost and dying world. This is true for us individually. I have to do this whether I'm preaching on Sunday. I better live this on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and so should we all. Amen? As collectively as a church family, it's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Isn't that great? Are we awake? Are our lamps lit with the love and obedience to Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we committed to walk in the light of his grace? Are we taking that light wherever we go and wherever he sends us? Let's commit and let's light up this world. Amen.